Well, the Bible is God's word to us, so let's pray to God and ask him to help us understand what his word is saying. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you have given us your word, the Bible. We thank and praise you especially this morning for the wonderful hope that is presented to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Please help us to understand what it is saying. Please help us to put into practice in our lives the comfort and information and and challenge uh, that that you present to us. We pray this morning that we might be changed by your word. We ask this through the power of your Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm a person who who, uh, quite likes to stay in a tent. Um, Before I was married, I used to go camping with my friend George and uh, we would uh, just tie a string between two trees, chuck a bit of plastic over the top. That was our tent. Uh, for For us, that was perfectly fine. But later, later when I got married, uh, I, had, I tried to uh, convince Carmelina to get into camping. And that uh, required a little bit more effort. Uh, we bought a very expensive tent. Um, it's the sort of tent you could take to the top of Mount Everest and you'd still be warm in this tent. Uh, to get her started, I thought, we'll start slow. So I set it up in the lounge room of our house in Meadowbank. <clears throat> Tied the ropes onto dining chairs and I forced her to sleep the night in the tent on the lounge room floor. It was uh, luxury compared to the tents I'm used to. Uh, But sadly, I've never managed to convince Carmelina of the joys of tent living. Uh, I once took her camping, and I only managed to convince her on the basis of a deal. She agreed that she would stay two nights in the tent, as long as it was followed by four nights in a five-star hotel to recover. Um, (laughs) Gone are the cheap camping trips. Well, five years ago, we went camping with uh, Jimmy and Ange Turnbull. Um, I pulled our little tent out of the car, and then James pulls out his tent. It's like the Taj Mahal. <laughs> it's got, like, three storeys. It's fully fitted kitchen and bathroom, TV room, guest room. OK, I'm exaggerating a little bit. Anyway, Carmelina sees it. She says, now that's a tent. <clears throat> and we've never been camping since. <laughs> I don't mind tents, but I have to admit, they're not like a house, are they? I wouldn't want to live in a tent, especially not with four little kids. I wouldn't want to be like a refugee or something in a camp. Compared to a house, a tent is uncomfortable. A tent is temporary. A tent is fragile. Tents tents soon fall apart. Tents may be all right for a short time, But really, to live in, you want a house. Now, in this section of 2 Corinthians that we're looking at, uh, we've been looking at for the last few weeks, Paul has been describing his ministry. You may remember, he says it's like he's following Jesus in a victory parade. And he says, uh, as a metaphor, that he's spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere. It's a metaphor for saying that his job is is to... be guided by God and uh, to go to different places and to spread the message of Jesus. He says his job is to set forth the truth about Jesus plainly. And last week we saw that it was tough going. Chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
As Paul spread the message about Jesus, lots of people hated it. It was like the stench of death, he says. And so his life was tough. He suffered. But Paul kept on going. He didn't lose heart because, he says, he trusted that there will be a resurrection from the dead. As he says, chapter 4, verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Paul believed that what he was doing it had eternal benefits. He believed God will raise to life people who rely on Jesus and so he was willing to endure discomfort in this life. He was willing to go through suffering. He didn't focus on the temporary troubles of this life. Paul set his focus on the eternal future. And now in this little section, chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, Paul tells us more about this eternal future. More about, uh, more about what will happen after we die, particularly. In verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul makes a comparison. He talks about our present earthly bodies and he describes them as being like a tent. But he says there's going to be another body for us, our resurrected body. And that body he describes as being like a house. Have a look with me, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Clear image, isn't it? It's like I said before, the tent is temporary. The house is what lasts. The house is where you really want to live. Or it, uh, it reminds me of a story that um, one of our ladies at Lane Cove, Mrs Fisher, was telling me one time. Um, the story of how she and her husband built the house in which they lived. Um, she and her husband bought a property over in Lane Cove in Mooney Street and they started living on the property in what was basically just a tent. And while they did, she and her husband gradually built the house. Um, each morning before work, they'd mix up cement and put them into brick moulds uh, they'd make about a dozen or so at a time, and then each afternoon after work, they would build the bricks into the house. They lived in a tent, but it wasn't ever meant to be permanent. Uh, gradually, they were building their house, the house where they could stay. Paul says our bodies are like a tent. They're not built to be permanent. A and once they're gone, if we're relying on Jesus... Well, the Bible says there is a house for us, prepared for us, a, a resurrection body, a body that will last forever. You see the image? Okay, well, in verse 2, Paul starts to mix the metaphor a little bit. He's been talking about uh, a tent and a house. Well, now he shifts slightly to talk about being clothed. Uh, he talks about being clothed with the heavenly dwelling, um, clothed in the new house. And the point Paul makes is this. Here's the point. He, he longs to be clothed in his resurrection body. Paul says that as long as he's in this body, he's unsatisfied. He, he groans, he says, longing to be clothed in the resurrection body. Verse 2. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And now picking up on the clothing image, Paul then talks about being naked or unclothed. 
He says, uh, when we're clothed, we won't be found naked. He says, uh, he doesn't want to be unclothed. Now, it's a little bit difficult to tell exactly what he means here. Um, maybe being naked or unclothed is just a way of talking about being in this tent, a way of talking about being alive. Now, in other words, what Paul is saying then is, is he doesn't want to stay unclothed in this body. He wants to be clothed in the heavenly body. It's also possible that uh, where he talks about being naked and unclothed, he's talking about dying and putting off this body, but, uh, but not yet having the resurrection body. So between, in, in between bodies, you die and leave this body, but you don't get your resurrection body until Jesus comes back. If that's what he's saying here, then what he's saying is he doesn't want to just die and be without a body. That's not his final goal. His final goal is to be in the resurrection body. Either way, the point is the same. Paul's great hope is not to have bigger muscles. Paul's great hope is not to have a more comfortable life here and now. Paul's great hope is to have his resurrected, eternal body, his heavenly Permanent dwelling, fit for life in the new heaven and new earth. Go back with me to verse 2. Meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And Paul then says... That's actually what we were made for. We were not made to be in this temporary tent. We were not made just for this life. God made us to be with him, resurrected forever. Verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose. And Paul says... We know that this is sure, it is certain. We know it because God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a a taste of heaven, a down payment of heaven. Even now, we're already being transformed into the likeness of Christ, as he told us before. Even now, with the gift of the Spirit, we know that this is not all there is. There is a future that is guaranteed for us. Verse 5 again. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Do you see what Paul's saying? This life, this body, it is not all there is. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's not as good as it gets. God didn't make us for these few short years. God made us for forever to be in resurrected bodies with him and so that is what Paul longs for. I'm sure it must have been like that for Mr. and Mrs. Fisher. As they lived in their tent and worked and and built their house, I'm sure they were longing for the day when they could move in, when they could leave the discomfort of the tent, when they could get into their house. They weren't there to live in a tent. They weren't in Mooney Street to camp. They were there to live in a house. And so that's what they longed for. This body, this life, it's impermanent. Weak, frail, decaying, and so Paul longs to go home. And verses 6 to 8, he says it again. He says, as long as we're in this body, we're not with Jesus. 
Now, we do have the Spirit, but we're not physically with Jesus. We can't see him face to face. We're not going to see him face to face until we leave this body, until we die, ultimately until we are resurrected. It is then that we will see Jesus face to face. Paul says that is going to be much better, much preferable, much better to be with the Lord. And so he says, I don't live for what I can see. I don't live for this body. I don't live for this life. He says, I live by faith. I live confident in the promises of the Lord Jesus that there is something better. Verse 6. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This life isn't all there is. And so Paul doesn't set his goals around this life. He doesn't live to please himself. He doesn't live for short-term gain. No, Paul lives to please Jesus, verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And then in verse 10, Paul adds one final factor to the equation. He reminds us that there is going to be a judgment. At the last day, we will all, and he's talking to Christians here, we will all stand before God. And what we do here on earth will be judged. What we do with eternity in mind will last. What we do for God, well, it'll receive its well done. What we do in in evangelism, if people trust in the Lord Jesus, well, they will be there with us. What we do for each other, for other Christians, well, they will be there with us. It'll last. We'll receive what is due. But, but if we live for ourselves, if we live in selfishness and cowardice, it'll all be exposed. The day is coming when we'll have to give account for the life that we have lived in these tents. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. All right, well, do you you get the point of this passage? Paul is explaining how he's able to keep going in ministry, how he's able to keep on telling people about Jesus, even if it means great suffering for him. Paul is able to endure, he says, because he knows this is an hilarious Paul is able to endure, he says, because this is just like living in a tent. It's temporary and we're away from the Lord. Paul is able to endure because there stands before him a day of judgment and then beyond that an eternal house, the house for which he was made, where he'll be home with the Lord forever. Makes sense, doesn't it? I reckon this is a very, a very rich passage, a passage that is full of, of fascinating stuff. What I want to do, though, is, as you can see in your outline there, is focus on, on three important uh, aspects of this passage. First, I want us to think about the, the information that this passage contains. And then second, there's the, the comfort of this passage. And then thirdly, there's the challenge of this passage. Information, comfort... And challenge. Let's, let's look at the information because there's some fascinating stuff here. This passage is full of, of vital information 
Information that, uh, if you can get this clear in your mind, it will really, it'll give you a glimpse of reality and help you to know how to live. Now, first, this passage makes clear that there is life after death. It's a perennial question for people. It's answered here for us. There is life after death. That is something not that Paul speculated about or philosophised about. That is something that Paul knew, verse 1. It's something he was confident of, verse 5. He was confident of it. He was confident of it because he'd seen it in action. He'd seen the Lord Jesus raised from the dead and he's confident of it because of the work of the Spirit in his life, there in verse 5. Paul knew there is life after death. And secondly, this passage makes clear that life after death is physical. There, there may be taught here an intermediate stage where we're between bodies, where we're out of this body but not in the resurrected body yet. But even if that's true, that's not the final destiny. That's not the goal. Our final destiny is to have new bodies, houses that make these bodies look like tents. I hope you haven't been tricked into this because there are, there are lots of people out there that seem to have the idea that heaven is all about um, clouds with spirits floating around or something like that, some kind of disembodied existence. That is not Christianity, that is platonic philosophy. The biblical picture is nothing like that. The biblical picture is that we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth with, with, with stuff, mud and, 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 and things that you can touch and, and, and see and smell and, and taste. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where we will have physical, resurrected, huggable kind of bodies. It's going to be real and tangible. Not not spirits on clouds. Physical. Third, this passage teaches us that we will all face the judgment of God. Now, as Christians, we know that 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 judgment is not going to be about our standing before God. Um, That's been sorted out through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be pardoned for our sin on Judgment Day if we are relying on what Jesus has done. We're saved by the grace of Jesus alone. The Bible's perfectly clear about that. But, But that doesn't mean that our lives here don't matter. God has prepared good works for us to walk in. And the day will come when we'll receive what is due. God's not going to be our debtor. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? We, we live in eternal relationships. Our, our relationship with God will continue beyond this life. And so what we do in that relationship now will last beyond this life. Our relationships with each other, they will continue beyond this life. And so what we do for each other will remain beyond this life. What we do now matters for eternity and the day of judgment will show it up. And then just briefly, the final piece of information that I want to point out to you is is about the Holy Spirit. As Christians, notice, God has given us the Holy Spirit. And he is like a a taste of heaven for us, a deposit of heaven for us, guaranteeing that this future is sure. The rest is coming. There's stacks of interesting information here, isn't there? Mind-blowing information, I reckon. There is life after death physical life. Before we get there, there's a judgment to face, and until we get there, we have the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. It's it's important information. And it's a real comfort 
isn't it? This passage has plenty of comfort for us. For a start, it shows us that there is a meaning, a a purpose to life. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the atheist author, uh, he writes this about the, the meaning of life. He says, We are machines for propagating DNA. And the propagation of DNA is every living object's sole reason for living. Is that really all there is? Are we just propagators of DNA? not, Not according to this passage. Our lives are not empty, meaningless accidents that are punctuated by death. God has made us for an eternal purpose. God has made us for himself to live as resurrected people with him forever. That's something we can be confident about. Something we can, we can know. We can know it because of the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus and we can know it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Friends, we have a purpose for living. There is meaning to our lives. The stuff that we do here and now has meaning. Our labour in the Lord is not in vain. The stuff you do for God, the stuff you do for people now, it's going to count for eternity. It's worth waking up in the morning. It's worth persevering. In the light of our future, our lives now are valuable and purposeful. And so so as as we groan... And these tired, frail, decaying bodies as we get dragged out of bed and yet another morning by little kids, as we, as, we, as we plod along trying to be faithful Christians, trying to share the message about Jesus, we can gain strength. Like Paul, we could say, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Is that your experience? Is that what it's like for you? Do do you see the value and the purpose of your life? And do you know the best is yet to come? This is not as good as it gets. Are are you looking forward to the future? Are, Are you confident? I hope you are. Because when this tent is destroyed, we have a house. It's a great comfort, isn't it? This passage is full of fascinating information, uh, information that is profoundly comforting. But I can't just leave you there because this passage also comes with a challenge as well, doesn't it? Uh, For Paul, this information about judgment and, and life after death, it shaped his priorities. He was willing to make sacrifices in this life for the sake of the next. He was willing to be hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. He was willing to suffer now for the sake of telling people about Jesus and giving them a then. He didn't lose heart. He didn't give up. He didn't just retreat into comfortable North Shore obscurity because he knew that the real life, the permanent life, the life for which God made us, is the life to come and not this life. He didn't focus on this tent. He focused on the house to come. If this is true, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Imagine if Mr. and Mrs. Fisher decided, 
Don't worry about the house. We'll just focus our attention on the tent. We won't worry about making the bricks every day and building the house. All too much hard work. Instead, what we'll do is we'll make some nice, pretty decorations for our tent each day. You only need to say it to see how unwise it is. Today, their tent would be gone, fallen to bits, and there would be no house. This life matters, but this life is not all there is. It is not what we're made for. You will not take your money with you. You will not take your stuff with you. You will not take your body with you. You will not take your present house with you. All that you will take with you is your relationship with God and your relationships with those people who will be with you in heaven. Soon, soon it'll all be over. Soon the tent will be gone. We've got only a few short years here in this tent. Soon there will be judgment. Soon there will be eternity upon us. Do you believe that? Then you can't just live for the tent. Don't spend your life working on the tent. Don't live as if if this life is all there is. Don't live for comfort and pleasure now. Invest in your house. Live to please God now. Share the message about Jesus with others, even if it means your tent's going to get a bit ruffled. Even if it means it's going to be a bit uncomfortable here and now. As Paul puts it in verse 9, we've got to make it our goal to please him, the one before whom we will stand in judgment. I know you might get judged here and now by the people at work or or if you talk about Jesus. It's not going to be anything like the judgment we will face. Let's make it our goal to please him. Or, Or as Paul goes on in the next verse, verse 11, he says, Since we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade men. It's the only way to live. It's the only way that makes sense to live if there is a house before us. I pulled out our tent the other day. I was going to, I've given up on Carmelina, but I thought I'd, I'd try to camp in the backyard with the boys for the evening. Um, but after five years in its bag, the, the tent was decayed away, fallen to bits. I'm soon this tent's going to be gone too. I can already feel it as I walk as I walk inexorably towards middle age, um, I'm already starting to feel the bits falling off here and there. But meanwhile, our home is before us. There is a home before us. And the day will come when we'll see that what we do now for then is worth it. There's a story of a man called Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison served as a missionary in Africa for 40 years, endured extraordinary hardships. And at the end of, end of his time in Africa, he came back home to America. And as it happened, he, he, he was on the same boat as President Theodore Roosevelt, who was coming home from, from some, uh, some trip. And as they arrived, there was this great fanfare and party and carnival and everything for, for President Roosevelt. But nobody ever noticed Henry Morrison. Now, later, Morrison was talking to a friend. And he said, it's pretty, it's pretty disappointing pretty unfair. He said, 40 long years I suffered and laboured in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I come home and there's nothing for me. But his friend said to him, Henry, Henry, you're not home yet. We're not home yet. Home is before us. A house is prepared in heaven for you, the house you were made for. So don't just pretty up the tent. 
Don't live for the, the decaying, impermanent tent. Let's, let's make it our goal to please our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your extraordinary mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank and praise you that he has died on the cross and risen again and paid the full price for all our sin. We thank and praise you for your sure promises that when we rely on Jesus, you will forgive us and accept us as your people and the day will come when you will raise us up and present us together before the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will grant us your mercy and forgiveness, that you will grant us this resurrection body. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help us to live appropriately in the light of what is to come. Help us not to focus on that which is temporary and impermanent, but help us instead to recognise the future as it really is and to make it our goal to please you. Please empower us by your spirit. Give us glimpses of heaven. Help us to long for heaven and to live for heaven. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.